Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I love the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, I've often recommended it to those who are approaching the Bible for the first time. Because, you know, it's filled with colorful narratives and very human stories, lots of adventure, martyrdom, persecution, journeys by sea, etc., etc. It's a very lively book. So if you're just kind of getting into the Bible, I recommend that you read it. And during the Easter season now, we hear a lot from the Acts of the Apostles. But you know what I love especially about it is it shows the excitement of being a follower of Jesus. So go back now to this time, the first century. And this is now long before there were parishes or dioceses or the Vatican or any institutional structures. There was just this band of brothers and sisters who were so overwhelmed and energized by the fact of the resurrection that they went careening around the world and to their deaths with the message of Jesus. And, you know, even the most skeptical historian, I have a hard time denying that, that out of Palestine come these people without a lot of background, education, and all that. But there they were, planting the seeds of this faith and going to their deaths in most cases. And you catch it. I, I've never read the Acts of the Apostles without sensing that excitement, you know. Well, it also features, I think, some wonderful examples of Christian preaching. Because we, we hear now in the Acts some of these, what the scholars call, charismatic proclamations of the apostles. The charisma is the basic message, the basic gospel, right? So we hear Peter and Paul and others who are doing this fundamental form of preaching. So I think, first of all, any preachers, listen to me, uh, can benefit from this, but also anybody interested in, in the nature of Christianity, because here we're right back to the beginning, these excited witnesses of the resurrection proclaiming what was on their mind. So our first reading for this weekend is taken from the second chapter of Acts. It conveys one of Peter's great charismatic sermons. So as I say, if we listen attentively, we can learn a lot about good preaching, but also a lot about the nature of Christianity. So first thing we hear, Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice. First lesson, all legitimate Christian preaching and proclamation is apostolic. Peter and the 11, Peter with the 11, raises his voice. All good Christian teaching and proclamation is grounded in these first witnesses, these first intimate followers of Jesus. You know, I've been a bishop now for about a year and a half, and, and the description of bishop that I always find most moving, that kind of cuts me to the heart, is that the bishop is a successor of the apostles. And I don't think of it primarily in juridical terms. I think of it very personally. 
a successor to this little band of intimate followers of Jesus. Any priest, any deacon who preaches in the church receives his authority from a bishop, from a successor to the apostles. So what's going on there is the church is assuring that what preachers say is not just a matter of private opinion or the fruit of the present cultural consensus, but rather it's rooted in the experience of those who knew Jesus personally. It's really important. If I just get up in the pulpit and I'm sharing my religious opinions, I mean, I might even be right. I might even be saying things that are true, but I'm not preaching apostolically unless my preaching is grounded in the experience of the apostles. So, Peter and the Eleven. So, what does apostolic preaching sound like? Well, listen now to St. Peter. Let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. First of all, please notice the strength, the confidence, and the edginess of that proclamation. There's not one little thing weak or vacillating or unsure about it. This is not a preacher sharing his doubt with you or reveling in the complexity and multivalence and ambiguity of the faith. This is a man speaking in a loud voice about his absolute conviction. Now, again, I'm not making fun of it. We all struggle. You know, I mean, the faith is a difficult thing. We all got, you know, the doubts and hesitations. I get it. I get it. But can I insist that the pulpit is not the place to be sharing all of your um, difficulties and ambiguities? The pulpit is a place where you get up, as Peter does here, and with confidence proclaim something. Okay, what's he convicted about? Listen again that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. God's made him Lord and Christ. Christos, of course, Christ, has the sense of the anointed, which implies the new David, which means the fulfillment of the expectation of Israel. Good preaching, everybody. Good Christian preaching, apostolic preaching, always puts Jesus in relation to Israel because Jesus makes sense only, katatagrapha, as they say, according to the writings, according to the writings. A Jesus abstracted from Israel devolves, and we see it all the time today, devolves in short order into a mere religious teacher, into a guru. But the Christ, the Christos, the new David, the anointed one, is the fulfillment of the expectation of Israel. Good preaching, I would say, is deeply biblical preaching, grounded in Israel and the expectation of Israel. Now, Peter says not only is he Christos, he's also Kyrios, Lord. God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, Kyrios, Lord, had both a Jewish and a Roman sense back in this time. On the Jewish reading, it meant Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, why do I say that? Well, because in Hebrew, Adonai, Lord, 
was the typical substitute for God's unpronounceable name, right? His name, we say Yahweh, but it was just that tetragrammaton, meaning the four letters. It was a name that you couldn't say. To try to pronounce it was, was punishable. So as a substitute for Yahweh, people would say Adonai. So the first Christians declaring that Jesus is Kyrios, Lord, and to a Jewish audience, they knew exactly what they meant. That Jesus now, as Paul puts it in Philippians, has the name above every other name, by which he means the name of God. We're not dealing here with just a, a, one prophet or teacher among many. Preaching that leaves aside the divinity of Jesus or puts that teaching in the shadows is not apostolic preaching. Now, Curios also had a Roman sense at the time because Caesar was the Curios, right? Lord. People would say Kaiser Curios, meaning he's the one to whom final allegiance is due. And so, and so, do you see how edgy and subversive this proclamation is? Do you see why those who made it usually ended up imprisoned and or put to death? Because they were making a revolutionary claim when they said Jesus is curious. Jesus is the Lord. It means Caesar's not the Lord. That's why you know, I've quoted this before, but from a uh, 20th century Anglican uh, bishop. He said, when Paul preached, there were riots. When I preach, they serve me tea. See, that's the problem, is that authentic apostolic preaching, I'm not you know, urging preachers to cause riots, but I mean, it has this revolutionary, explosive power. If all they do when you preach is serve you tea, maybe you've not preached the lordship of Jesus in the full sense. Notice something else now, everybody. Notice how Peter is not tickling the ears of his hearers. He says, God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Talk about not pulling any punches. About as bluntly and clearly as he could, he names the sin of his audience, right? So the Lord of life came and you killed him. This Jesus who is curious and Christos, he's Lord, he's the anointed, he's the fulfillment of Israel, he's, the, he's the, uh, the word made flesh. Yeah, that one whom you crucified. You gave him the death reserved for the lowliest and most, most uh, uh, denigrated in the society. Man, that's about the opposite of tickling the ears of his audience. That's the opposite of telling his audience what they want to hear. That's naming their pain about as bluntly as he could. See, and this is exactly why it says they were, quote, cut to the heart. I love that. Good preaching cuts to the heart. See, abstract spiritual principles and tired bromides and timeless moral truths might be fine, but they don't cut people to the heart. What cuts people to the heart is hearing about the lordship of Jesus and their sinful reaction to that lordship. You know what I'm saying? 
when you hear, okay, Jesus Christ is Lord, and then I realize, man, have I, have I fallen short of the person I should be? How poorly I follow the Lordship of Jesus. That's the kind of preaching that cuts you to the heart. And so they cry out, what are we to do? And so Peter's sermon continues, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. See, everybody, every single sermon should be a call to repentance, to turn your life around. If it doesn't lead to this conviction and contrition, it's not cut to the heart of the people. You know, it doesn't mean moralizing in a browbeating way. It means that the message of Jesus has been presented so clearly that people naturally see how they've fallen short and they want to change. Now, St. Peter concludes, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, followers of Jesus are a holy nation. They're a people set apart. We have renewed minds and wills. We should profile ourselves distinctly against the backdrop of the world. See, everybody, if we think and act like everybody else, then we haven't taken in the gospel. Relatedly, if all you hear from the pulpit is what you can hear on talk shows and in discussion groups and political conversations, you haven't heard the gospel yet. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's not judgmentalism. It's being clear on how Christians are set apart. Then finally, finally, we're told 3,000 persons were added that day. Now, I know everybody and his brother tells us not to worry about numbers. And, and there is, I get it, truth to that. God wants us to be, as Mother Teresa said, you know, faithful, not successful. And I get it. There's, there's truth in that. However, however, the Bible is interested in numbers because it often will tell us how many were there, how many came, how many joined, and so on. Good preaching, apostolic preaching, if it's truly evangelical, is meant to draw people into the church. You know, so don't get obsessed with numbers, but yeah, I'm interested in my preaching, drawing people into the church. In fact, they're staying away in droves today, right? You know, what are they saying? 50% of Catholics 30 and younger are staying away from church. Now, we can look at that a lot of ways, but what does it tell us about the quality of our apostolic preaching? Okay, much more we could say about it. Can I urge everyone, take out your Bible sometime this week and open up to the Acts of the Apostles, especially this chapter two. Take a good look at Peter's charismatic sermon. It'll teach you a lot about preaching and a lot about being a Christian. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.